Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz from March Madness and NCAA.com. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Texas head coach Shaka Smart, Texas Tech guard, former Georgetown guard, Mac McClung. Got our Cats ranks, March Chadness, that's the prediction segment, and LaFonzo Ellis from ESPN. We're going to break down the ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups. Of course, two of those matchups already at the beginning of this week, not going to happen. Louisville at Wisconsin, not going to happen because Louisville's on pause. Wisconsin replaces that game with Rhode Island. NC State at Michigan, not going to happen because NC State's on pause. Michigan looking for a replacement. But the other games are happening. We're going to go over that top five, or at least my top five with LaFonso Ellis. And look, this is what is our reality right now. We are dealing with postponements, cancellations, but still, the majority of games are being played. And it's been compelling. I mean, Gonzaga and Baylor, very disappointing. They weren't able to play last Saturday. 90 minutes before tip-off, we find out they cannot play. But I'm going to be positive, and I'm going to look on the other side and tell you that they both had four games on the road in two different states. Baylor was in Vegas and Indiana. They got three of their four. Gonzaga was in Florida, Indiana. They got three of their four. Unfortunately, the one we wanted the most didn't happen, but I still think Mark Few... And Scott Drew will try to make that game happen somewhere, somehow this season. Gonzaga's had issues. They've had staff or players, some combination, still in Florida and Indiana, making their way back over this week once they've been cleared to Spokane. But yet, a team like Villanova plays four games in the bubble, comes out of the bubble, goes to Texas and wins on Sunday. So they've got their five games in. Texas goes to Asheville, gets three games in, home Villanova. DePaul goes to Iowa State, they can't play. They haven't played. Temple still hasn't played. There are other teams from one-bid leagues still hadn't played. And that's what it is, and we told you this at the beginning of the season. This was going to happen. It's not going to be fair. It's going to be who can survive the entire season to get to this point. And that's the reality. That's the reality we're all dealing with right now. And so we just have to accept it. You know, as for what this means going forward, it means that it's going to be very difficult for the selection committee to figure this out. And it's going to be a challenge. But there's not going to be a wrong answer. That's number one. All right, before we get to our guests, let's look at our Power 36. I got Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, 
who hadn't played anyone yet of note, but they'll play North Carolina this week, and we'll discuss that. Michigan State won at Duke last week. Villanova won at Texas. Houston playing very well. Texas, I'm not going to ding them too much. They won the Maui Invitational by beating North Carolina in last possession. Kansas, which beat Kentucky. North Carolina, which barely lost to Texas. And Richmond still milking that Kentucky win. As for Kentucky, at 1-3 and three after losing to Georgia Tech, that's the biggest surprise, I think, of the season so far. John Calipari's teams have started slow before, but point guard's an issue. David Mintz could end up being the point guard. Experience is going to matter. You're going to need experience. Further down on my second 10, Illinois, Creighton, Virginia, West Virginia, which Gonzaga ran away from, Illinois, Baylor handled them in the second half. Duke, Wisconsin, lost to the buzzer to Marquette. Justin Lewis off the bench for Marquette. He was our player of the week. Michigan State, our team of the week. Tennessee, which finally gets going this week. Rutgers, Virginia Tech, Arizona State. St. Louis, Indiana. Trace Jackson Davis had 31 in that win over Stanford. Florida State, they'll play each other this week. San Diego State, they're going to play Arizona State. Missouri, who I think right now is the best team in the SEC, knocked off Oregon. Then I got Oregon, Florida. I saw them in person. Trey Mann plays the way he did, consistently the way I saw They'll be in the thick of the race. UConn, which now is back on pause again, beat, I thought, a very good USC team. Didn't have their starting point guard, Ethan Anderson. And Evan Mobley, whoo, he's a talent. Oklahoma State, Marquette, after that win. They lost Oklahoma State early in the week. Clemson, good test this week. Maryland, Louisville, they're on pause. Uh, Michigan, Texas Tech, Xavier, nice win over Cincinnati, and USC. Uh, dropping out of my power 36, Kentucky, Stanford, Western Kentucky, Alabama, and Providence. So, a lot to digest there, but I want to get straight to Lafonso Ellis to talk about the ACC Big Ten Challenge. That's up next. And now joining me here are March Madness, Lafonso Ellis from ESPN as we get ready for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We've already had one game that's not going to happen, that being between Wisconsin and Louisville, at least this week. They still may play. Wisconsin picking up Rhode Island as a replacement. So let's deal with the games we know are scheduled to happen. We hope they're all going to happen, and at least my top five. I'll start with number one for me, Fonz, and that is Michigan State at Virginia, Joey Hauser, Sam Hauser. What do you think of that matchup? I'm excited about it. Uh, obviously, uh, both can stick it from deep, both having shot over 40% from three. Both can play with their back to the basket. I love the versatility that Joey brings to Michigan State because you can play him as a three, a four, or a five. Now, with Sam, of course, Sam provides the same for Virginia, the ability to be able to stretch the defense. Shot nearly 45% from three during his time at Marquette. He also can play with his back to the basket. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good, how good of a passer he is also. So I'm excited to see that matchup. But I tell you what, um, I've watched Virginia several times now, and it seems like they are struggling on the defensive end to get a bit of continuity uh, between Hauser and Huff. And so I think in the absence of Mamadi Diakite, uh, Braxton Key, uh, two guys who, even in short clock situations, can switch out on the guard and contain and keep that guard from straight line driving to the rim. Uh, I think Hauser and Huff uh, offer more offensive firepower than those two, but I don't think those two are as good defensively as Diakite and Key, and I think that's why we've been able to see early 
teams able to get to the basket much more often in the half court than we've ever seen in the past for Virginia. So that's a weakness uh, for Virginia defensively that I'm looking forward to seeing if Michigan State, given their guys, uh, that can really attack you off the bounce, obviously starting with Rocket Watts. Uh, Aaron Henry is terrific off the bounce. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. So I, I actually have Michigan State as favorite to win that game. Yeah, I saw Virginia twice down in Mohegan and first game against Towson, 15 threes. Second game against San Francisco, they hit three. And it was really night and day offensively. And Michigan State obviously is coming off a road win at Duke. See if they can get another one in the ACC. All right, number two, Illinois at Duke. Uh, in that game where Duke lost to Michigan State, Wendell Moore was 0 for 9, DJ Stewart 0 for 7. Illinois got blitzed in the second half by Baylor and Indy. Uh, Io DeSuma tried probably to do too much. He was 6 of 18. Can another Big Ten team go in and win at Cameron with no fans? I think if there's one that can be, it would be Illinois. Uh, the only concern I have is obviously going into their big game against Baylor, Io DeSumo had either scored or assisted on 45% of their total points scored. And so when you have a guy like that who's dependent on to not only score the basketball but also to create offense, it, it almost – I, I think for some of the guys on the perimeter, like a Cabello, for example, when, when he's in the game off the bench, I, I don't, it, it puts them in an awkward situation because you find yourself standing around watching. And so I love the fact that Illinois is playing him at the point guard position. He's done it extremely well in terms of his playmaking ability because that's what he essentially played all while he was growing up. And now he's getting an opportunity to play that. And so if, if Illinois can continue uh, to shoot the ball well from the three-point line, continue to exploit Kofi Coburn on the inside because uh, Duke doesn't have anyone who can match up with Coburn on the interior. Not that anybody in the country can, <laughs> uh, but it's going to be important for Duke to play ahead of that tough uh, Illinois defense. And they have a terrific freshman in their own, of their own in Jalen Johnson, who at 6'8", 6'9", about 225, 230 pounds, can uh, defend uh, all five positions can rebound it and push it up the floor and initiate the offense. And so he's going to have to be on this game because he didn't play uh, very well uh, in their last game against top competition. All right, let's stay with another high-profile matchup. North Carolina at Iowa. Luca Garza is averaging 34 <laughs> and 9. Yes. Uh, but little tiny caveat. I mean, I don't care who you're playing against. You, get, you average 34, that's pretty damn good. But at the same time, it's a big jump up in competition. They've been loading up, obviously, in these first few games with lower-level teams because they could get them in Iowa. Now they play North Carolina, Garrison Brooks, 12-8. and eight. As a comparison, Carolina was within a possession away from winning the relocated Maui Invitational against Texas. They've obviously played tougher competition going into this one. Who do you like and why? I, I actually like Iowa in that game. And now that Jack – I wasn't certain if Jack Nungy was actually going to play uh, this year, obviously, he's had some injury issues and sadly the loss of a family member. So I didn't know if we'd get a chance to see him. But now that he actually is dressing up, now you have two 6'11 guys that you have to account for when you're on the defensive end of the ball. Both who can stretch the defense, both who can play with their back to the basket, both who are two of the hardest working guys in all college basketball. You mentioned Garrison Brooks. I thought coming into the season, uh, along with Kessler, I thought that those, I thought that that group would actually be the toughest, baddest, deepest 
uh, front line in all of college basketball. But with Nunji now back for Iowa, I'm tilting more towards Iowa. And you talk about it, it we talk about Luca Garza and how explosive he's been on the offensive end. But you got to we got to remember it, it's not just him. I mean, Tucson comes off the bench and he's a, a pace changer who could push it in transition. Uh, he's got C.J. Frederick, 45-plus uh, career three-point shooter. He's got Iowa has so many more options that hurt you on the offensive end, and I think that's going to be the demise of North Carolina because North Carolina really struggles to shoot the ball with any consistency from the perimeter, which would allow their bigs on the inside to go to work with freedom one-on-one. All right, let's shift to Indiana at Florida State, a rematch from last season. Florida State's only played one game. MJ Walker led them in that game with 17, but Indiana, outside of the one sort of dud against Texas, they played pretty well down in Nashville, uh, two and one, and Trace Jackson Davis had 31 uh, in that win over Stanford. So who do you like in this one? Yeah, he, he Al Durham, Race Thompson, those guys have been playing really well. And when you play against a team like Florida State, Florida State is up on the line and denying ball reversals. And so it makes it difficult for you to run your offense because of their scrambling ability and playing. I mean, Coach Hamilton is going to play 10 or 11 guys, I think, over a 40-minute period of time that's going to wear down Indiana. So I'll give Florida State the nod in that one. All right, last game here. And I would not have had this in my top five a few weeks ago. And I know we've got these potential postponements on a couple of these games. So I'm going with Maryland at Clemson. Uh, Maryland 4-0, didn't really play anyone yet, but Clemson did beat Purdue down in Florida. Amir Sims is playing very well, and I kind of like this matchup. A couple old, obviously, ACC rivals. Who do you like and why? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Maryland there. Uh, Amir Sims is, is, is playing well. He's not scoring it at the clip that he was scoring it at last year, but because Clemson, they essentially run their offense through him, uh, I just think Maryland has so many more guys that they can run at him on the defensive end. I love the way Eric Ayala is playing at the point guard position. Aaron Wiggins, if he can play with any consistency, I think is a future pro and NBA player. Darryl Marcel returns, a guy who can guard multiple positions. I would argue one through four. Uh, Hakeem Hart, or Hart rather, is uh, playing really well uh, right now. So, Again, Maryland, not to the extent that Iowa does, but they have so many more people to run at Amir Sims, and I think they have so many more scoring opportunities or options on the offensive end with Ayala, Wiggins, and Marcel. And uh, let's not forget about Dante Scott. They have so much more experience and so many more guys who played in big-time games and have produced in those games versus Clemson. So I'll give Maryland a nod in that one. Uh, I'll tell you, the games we're still getting are still going to be high level. Uh, and that's what it is this season. We're just going to have to, you know, appreciate games we get. For the most part, you know, we're still batting a pretty decent percentage of games that are being played here early in the season. Fonz, I love talking to you. I miss you. Wish I could see more of you. But stay safe uh, and make it to your next destination on time and without any issues. I really enjoyed working with you, AK. You're one of the nicest, hardest working dudes in our sport, man. So, it was a pleasure getting the chance to work with you, and you do the same. Thanks for having me on. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Andy Katz here with the latest edition of Katz Ranks, the top 10 rising stars so far in the first two weeks of the college basketball season. Some of these names um, are not household names, 
um, maybe a couple you've heard of, but wanted to look at players that are really starting to put out some pretty productive uh, evenings and day games and the like in college basketball. Let's start at number 10. Savir Wheeler from Georgia, the sophomore point guard, averaging 16 and 10.7 assists. He started the season with three straight double-digit assist games. It's off to quite a start for Tom Crean after losing Anthony Edwards, number one pick in the NBA draft. All right, number nine, Hakeem Hart, sophomore from Maryland, had 33 against St. Peter's, averaging 13 a game. And Mark Turgeon told me in the offseason he expected good things out of Hart, but maybe not this good this early. At number eight, Xavier Pinson, a junior from Missouri, averaging 14. He had 22 in the win over Oregon. Mizzou, uh, at this juncture, two weeks in, playing the best basketball in the SEC. At number seven, Alex Barcelo, a senior from BYU, averaging 19 and five. He had 20 in St. John's, which was a great bounce back win after they lost uh, to USC. And then he had 23 against Utah State. At number six, Justin Lewis from Marquette, the freshman, came off the bench, scored 18 against Wisconsin and the tap-in to beat the Badgers in a big rivalry in the Badger State. At number five, Zach Fremantle from Xavier, the sophomore, averaging 17 a game, leading the Musketeers to an undefeated start, which included beating their rival Cincinnati. So Zach Fremantle certainly has uh, picked up the mantle and uh, from Najee Marshall and been the main scorer for Xavier. I think a lot of us thought it might be Paul Scruggs, but it's been Fremantle. At number four, big surprise for Michigan, Hunter Dickinson. Freshman big, averaging 14 and 7.5. Uh, the big question was who's going to replace John Teske? Would it be Austin Davis? No, it's been Hunter Dickinson, the freshman. Uh, he's put up some pretty productive nights here early on for the Wolverines. At number three, Marcus Sasser from Houston, the sophomore, leading the Cougars, a very talented perimeter from Houston, averaging 17 a game. That includes the win over Texas Tech. At number two, Moses Moody from Arkansas, the freshman, averaging 17 and five. Uh, now, Moody might be one of those names that everyone expected to be this good this early, but he's delivered for the Razorbacks. We'll see as the competition increases. And at number one, Javante Perkins, a senior from St. Louis, uh, not a household name, maybe should be, definitely will be now in the Atlantic 10, averaging 23 points a game, had 32 against LSU. So Perkins making his mark early for the Billikens. That's my top 10 rising stars in college basketball two weeks in. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Mac McClung from Texas Tech. And Mac, five games in to your tenure at Texas Tech, you are the leading scorer at 17 a game. Uh, what were your expectations? I definitely had high expectations for myself, but, um, you know, this team has definitely surpassed. It's been a lot of fun playing with these guys, and it's a great culture to be a part of. All right, so I got to admit, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and this was pre-pandemic, but I wasn't certain that you were going to get the waiver to play right away. Uh, now everything has changed, and I know this was you, you, you got it probably even before, but why were you hopeful and optimistic that you'd be able to play right away from transferring from Georgetown? Yeah, first off, I just want to thank everyone who was a part of, I know they worked really hard for me and this, this staff and the compliance and everything, but um, 
you know, some things happened off court with my previous school and it was just something that I expected and, you know, had the data and stuff that people don't really know about. So clearly it worked out for you and, and, and that's great. And obviously it's, it's great that it's working out, not just for you, but everyone, it seems across the country. When you were looking at the sort of the canvas, and I know you did declare at one point, withdrew on that. What was it about Chris Beard and this incredibly winning culture that he's created down there that drew you to Texas Tech? Yeah, so everything was kind of over Zoom, so it was a lot different, you know, but um, he just had a different authenticity about him. And I feel like I could relate to him. He's such a competitor. Um, everyone on the staff is a competitor, so I just felt like this was the place, like, I should be. You know, this place is, you know, what I define myself as. So uh, I definitely I definitely made the right choice. You know, you're from that Washington, Virginia area. Um, how big a move was this for you personally to leave – you know, the comfort of the mid-Atlantic region of the United States and come down to West Texas? It's a lot different um, than Washington, D.C., but uh, I'm from Gay State, Virginia. It's real Southern, so this is kind of more like my hometown than D.C., so this is my type of people. Yeah, that's true. For people that don't know, there's really like two Virginias. There's suburban D.C., Virginia, and then Southern Virginia, which is much more like the South. So you're right on that. I appreciate that. All right, so first, you know, sort of up game, if you will, against Houston. And they're really good. We know that. So there's no shame in losing that game. But what do you what do you feel like right now in terms of where this team is at as you guys start to get into the Big 12? Because the season's going to start a little bit earlier in terms of conference play. Yeah, we're just trying to grow every single day. You know, we've had some ups and downs, but um, I think our biggest thing is our potential. You know, we're a new team with each other, a lot of transfers and a lot of new people. So we're just trying to grow every single day. And we think we can be really, really good. We're just building that family atmosphere and figuring out what we need to get better at and trying to apply it fast as possible. So everyone always knew you could shoot, and you're obviously showing that right now. Defensively, that's been sort of the identity of this Texas Tech team and the toughness in which they play. How have you adapted to that aspect? Yeah, I think I've adapted well. I think I've really, really grown on the defensive end and, you know, showed. I've always think I could be a capable defender, but I think I've really took that next level and I need to continue to grow with it. By the way, the way you just said defender, there's sometimes if I didn't see you, it, you sound a little like Chris Beard. Uh, <laughs> you guys have a little bit of a same dialect. Uh, he's also, he's such a player's coach. He allows you to express yourself and your freedom. You've done a little of that in social media. Um, what, what's that been like to be? And, and look, I don't want to bash any former school, but there's different ways of doing things. And, and, you know, definitely you have more freedom, controlled freedom, I maybe would say, at a Texas Tech than maybe some other places. What's that been like to sort of feel some of that and to be able to sort of just show more of who you are? No, it's been great. Um, Coach Beard, um, he's so he's so good at, at so many aspects of things, you know, with, with being a player's coach. Um, he's such a competitor, and, you know, he lets these guys have freedom, and everybody kind of feels more comfortable. And, you know, I just – I love a lot of things about him. He's, he's the second toughest guy I know, for sure. Who's the first? Me, myself. He's the second. <laughs> All right, lastly, he's big on music. Uh, has he adapted uh, to any of your musical tastes? Have you allowed to express that, whether it's in the locker room, on the court, or even in traveling? Yeah, he listens to a lot of like old country that I'm not too familiar with. So um, we're kind of on different stages with that, but we'll just we'll just let it be how it is. Have you made an appearance yet on the Fireside Chat? I have not. I have not made an appearance yet. Hopefully soon to come. Yes, I think those can still be done socially distanced, even if you have to have a piece of fiberglass in between the two of you. Um, Mac, I appreciate it. 
I'm thrilled that you're, you're, you're settling in there well and things are going well for you and look forward to hopefully, you know, seeing you guys in person at some point this season. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Texas head coach Shaka Smart. And the Longhorns had quite a week, uh, won the relocated Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina. And then on Sunday at a heck of a game against Villanova, no shame in losing in the last couple possessions to a team that certainly is projected as one of the best teams in the country. Uh, so it was a great week overall. This is me from the outside saying this. Um, Shaka, how would you assess the week? Well, you know how coaches are, Andy. It's, it's always more focused on uh, the last game, particularly if it was a loss. But, you know, looking at the week in total, we played, first of all, great competition in Davidson, Indiana, North Carolina, and, and Villanova. Uh, really well-coached teams, and all four of those teams played very, very differently from each other. So for our guys, it was a heck of a challenge to have to quickly adjust. Uh, also, with us being away from basketball for four and a half months and then, you know, the preseason being unlike any other in terms of some of the changes and disruptions with COVID, you know, our guys deserve a lot of credit just for being able to hang in there and play three games in three days. You know, I don't take that for granted. That takes a real level of physical and mental commitment. For us, I mean, we're like most teams in this in the country right now. We've got a long way to go. Uh, we have a lot of potential. We've got good guys that they want to win. They, they care about each other. So it's really about what we do next in, in, in the coming weeks. And, and that's the shock. I, I have this attitude, and I, I hope a lot of coaches do as well, that, um, hey, if in a week you can get four games in in two different states, that's a win because of everything that's going on. And we're seeing so many postponements and cancellations. Uh, so you had, you know, the three in Asheville in a controlled environment and then your home game against Villanova on Sunday. I mean, just if you can, just what that was like about two different kinds of environments and and still being able to get all four games in. Yeah, I think the folks from the Maui Invitational did a really good job, Andy, uh, over the last several months, uh, just planning and adjusting and adapting. Uh, it was one of the few events that was able to maintain its original field, which I think is no small feat. Once we got there, it really did feel like uh, a confined, you know, bubble, if you will, from the standpoint of we really didn't have much contact with anyone that wasn't part of the event. Um, so they did a great job with that. Uh, you know, it was interesting, obviously, playing in a venue with with no fans, but there were there were some people there. I mean, I guess they were all media or people that were helping run the event. And then the crowd noise factor is it's a, just a something that takes getting used to, I think, uh, for the players, for the coaches, uh, because it's there. It sounds familiar, but, you know, it's artificial. Um, so that was, again, I think they did a great job with that event. Um, and then being back at home, um, again, it's unique here with, with the restrictions in terms of, who can and can't come. You know, my family, for instance, stays at home. There's a cardboard cutout of them behind our bench. So just stuff like that. You have to make adjustments and do what makes sense. What did you think worked in the controlled environment in Nashville that potentially could be used if the Big 12 goes through with their tournament uh, in Kansas City? Or ultimately, you know, we feel like there's probably going to be a controlled environment in Indiana for the NCAA tournament. Well, I think... You know, it starts with the testing. You know, they did a really good job making sure the testing protocols were very specific and exact. And, you know, one thing that we learned from football around the country 
is that, you know, once you test negative on campus and then you start to travel, you know, that's a time where it's just extremely important to be, you know, ultra safe. That was for me, Andy, and for our players, the first time for a lot of us that we had worn an, an N95 mask. That's a different experience. I mean, because literally it's difficult to, to breathe because it's so closed down around your face. But we wore the mask, we wore the face shields. And, you know, I, I think that makes it feel safer. Then, uh, again, the Asheville folks did a really good job of, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, you, you were in the hotel and there was, we weren't leaving the hotel. You weren't interacting with really anyone, you know, outside of that group of people. So, you know, I think that gives you the best chance to be safe. So back to your team for a moment here. I love watching this group. Just so many different parts and different abilities and different bodies, uh, you know, from Kai Jones, who's like almost like, uh, I remember when I was a kid, like a Stretch Armstrong. I mean, he's just got all limbs everywhere. And obviously Greg Brown is an immense talent. We know that. And then you got the veterans like Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones. How have you felt about the way this group has blended together to this point and, and the options that you have? First of all, I appreciate the way that our guys approach the six straight weeks of practice. Um, that's, as you know, uh, that's quite an undertaking for players because, you know, in most years we have scrimmages, we have exhibition games. Uh, there's an opportunity to kind of break up those six weeks. But the way that uh, teams had to just, you know, keep practicing and practicing, um, you know, that was a challenge. And I, I appreciate the way that our guys handled that. Uh, then finally we got to play on November 25th. And as you mentioned, you know, it's it's uh, no small feat to even be able to play, you know, be able to take the court and, you know, your opponent uh, pass all their tests, you pass all your tests. Um, and so it's been good to at least be able to play five games. Um, I like our guys a lot. We've got a good group of guys. We've got a ton to learn. Um, you know, I thought Villanova did a great job of, really taking advantage of some of the mistakes that we made uh, on both ends of the floor. So those are areas where we have to get better. Um, but it's early in the year. We have a lot of potential to improve. It's going to be all about how connected we can stay around our common goals and being able to take a mentality that no matter what happens, we're willing to stay together. We talked in the offseason about, you know, a player like Greg Brown who, who had options. Um, and look, the G League hasn't started yet. The developmental team, you know, all that is, you know, at some point it's going to get going, but we don't know how, what it's going to look like. Uh, what have you found with him in terms of his decision to be all in to Texas? Well, you know, what's interesting, Andy, and, and I'm not trying to be controversial here, but when he was being recruited to go to that G League team, one of the things that they were selling him on is, hey, there's not going to be a college basketball season. Oh, yeah, I heard that. And, you know, again, there's a college basketball season. There's, you know, there's some games being canceled and, you know, people are doing the best they can. But, you know, now they're saying out there, and I'm not an expert on this, but that there might not be a G League season. So, of course, nobody knew. You know, nobody had a crystal ball to know what was going on. I think for guys like him, it's about making the best individual decision for you. And then once you make that decision, as you mentioned, just being all in. He's been very receptive. Uh, he's a freshman, so there's a ton to learn. Uh, he gets overwhelmed at times. Reminds me a lot mentally of some of the stuff that Mo Bamba and Jared Allen went through when they were freshmen. The thing that those guys were able to do is, again, be very receptive, take in coaching, 
And then by about somewhere between game 10 and game 15, those guys took off. Uh, so we need to continue to coach Craig and help him be in that position to do something similar. Uh, I want to compliment you here because what I thought has been great about your tenure so far at Texas is you haven't been in a box. You know, I mean, everyone assumed, oh, this is the way he played at VCU. He has to play this way at Texas. And until he gets his guys the way he wants to play, that's the way he's going to play. And it does definitely feel like you've adapted, depending upon what you have in front of you. Um, how, how much of a challenge was that for you to make sure, you know, that you weren't hardened in your ways, that you were going to have to adapt to who you could get, who you could end up on your campus, and, and how you wanted to play that made the most sense? Well, it's definitely an art and not a science, Andy, because, um, you know, I think as a coach, you always have to do what you're comfortable with. Um, you don't want to put a square peg in a round hole in terms of the way that you're coaching your team. But you also don't want to put a square peg in a round hole with the players that you have and, and a system that might not fit them. Um, and the thing that's unique is, you know, you have anywhere between, you know, 10, 11 to 13 scholarship guys, and they may not all have the same style of play. So it's about creating, okay, what's the best style of play for our team? And then helping individual players understand how their style of play fits into that. Uh, and that's unique from year to year. So uh, we're fortunate this year. We, we do have a lot of guys that, that we feel like uh, can play with good pace. We feel like we have a lot of guys that can be very versatile on the defensive end. Uh, so those are areas that we're emphasizing. Uh, but it's, it's, again, it's exciting because we have so much room for growth. And if our guys are very, very willing to be coached and to learn every day, we can keep making progress. And last two things, uh, the Big 12 starting earlier, which is what every league is doing to make sure they get conference games in. Um, so this is new for everyone in the league. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on getting going here? And I know already, you know, Oklahoma TCU already played. So, I mean, this is already happening as we record here. Well, I think it's pretty fitting for the last several months. I mean, time has been, you know, just kind of odd. You know, sometimes it feels like time has gone fast and then other times it seems like it stood still. So, it, again, it's fitting for this year that we're playing conference games earlier than we normally do. Uh, our league is is a bear. Uh, the Big 12 is as good as any league in the country. And the thing that's unique is that we just only have 10 teams. So, um, you know, again, knock on wood, if, if we're able to stay safe, then you're going to see most everybody twice. And, you know, these coaches are terrific in the league. They do a great job preparing their teams. You know, I, I think what you see, not just from the Big 12, but every conference is they're saying, hey, we got to prioritize these conference games. And so that's why you see so many people going earlier. All right, Shaka. The most investigative uh, question here is, of course, everyone has had various degrees of pandemic hair. Uh, some coaches went long this way. Uh, you went long the other way. Why? No reason. I mean, I've always cut my own hair since I was in about middle school. and. Uh, you know, just being stuck in my house, there was really no need to do that. Uh, so my hair got a little bit longer. And I, you know, when you're on these Zooms, uh, you know, when it all spring and summer, I just wore a hat. Uh, but then, you know, when it was time to kind of get ready for the start of the season, uh, I was going to cut my hair. And then my wife and daughter, who love to give me a hard time, uh, said, no, no, you need to keep it. So I, I try to follow directions in my house and do what I'm told. Uh, so that's what I've done. 
Well, initially, why did you, uh, why'd you want to go with the clean look years ago? Well, uh, a friend of the family bought me some clippers. Uh, honestly, we didn't have a lot of money, Andy. So it was just a less expensive way to uh, cut my hair. And literally uh, from about seventh grade on, I always cut my own hair. So it was easy. You know, I cut it about once a week and then not really have to think about it. Well, you look good either way. You're going to keep it? That's what the family wants, right? I'll do what my wife and daughter tell me to do. All right. Well, I appreciate Shaka. Stay safe. Uh, this is a Texas team. I think we're going to be talking a lot about this season. Off to a great start so far. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Chad Acock. We call this March Chadness. And Chad, um, when I can pump out my chest and pat myself on the back, I'm going to do it. How did I do last week? Hot start. Six and one last week. You correctly predicted both of the Champions Classic matchups, Michigan State winning at Duke and Kansas beating Kentucky on a neutral floor. And you also got the uh, Gonzaga over West Virginia game correct and Baylor over Illinois. The only miss was Wisconsin over Marquette. Tough loss for the Badgers at the buzzer. And then you finished strong on Sunday with two road wins, uh, Nova winning at Texas and uh, Xavier winning at Cincinnati, if you count it as a road game. Uh, you know, same city. But uh, how do you feel about your chances to keep this momentum going? Uh, I feel pretty good. I will say that I made that Villanova prediction, as you know, before Texas won the relocated Maui. So uh, prior to that game, I was thinking, okay, maybe Texas is going to win this and be better. But uh, a great road win for Villanova. Um, but I'll tell you this, and we just had Shaka Smart on the uh, on the podcast. I really like this Texas team. Uh, they are incredibly athletic, long, rangy. Um, they're going to be a real interesting watch throughout the course of the season. Yeah, they've got a big test at the end of this upcoming week. But before we get there, let's start with Tuesday's matchups. Number eight, Creighton at number five, Kansas. This is the Big East Big 12 battle. Interestingly enough, they actually have a common opponent. Uh, Creighton took down North Dakota State by 11 uh, before Kansas uh, escaped in the final minute over the weekend. But one key for me in this matchup is Kansas has faced Gonzaga and Kentucky, um, but Creighton, this is really their first test. How much of a factor do you think that will be in your opinion? Oh, I think it'll be a major factor, but I'm going to surprise you here. Um, I'm not sold on Kansas right now, especially offensively. And you got to score to keep up. And I know they scored 90 against Gonzaga, so that's going to come right back at me. But you're going to have to score to keep up as well against Creighton. the, if 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 this was a normal situation and it was a normal Fog Allen, I think there's no way I would go against Kansas, but it's not. Uh, I'm going with Creighton. I think Creighton goes in there, and Creighton fans have been a little upset with me that I've not been all on board with them early in the season, although I've been ranking them pretty high, but not high enough for them. So I'm going with Creighton with what would be an upset still, I think, in Lawrence. Yeah, big offensive matchup there. We'll see if Creighton get that done. Yeah, I think this year's going to be weird for maybe resetting some home records or home winning streaks. Uh, this is definitely one that'll be big for a fog out on loss for Kansas. Uh, but sticking with that same night, we've got two more big matchups. Number 16, UNC at number three, Iowa. Uh, this is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, similar to the last matchup, you know, Iowa's been steamrolling their opponents, but haven't really faced anybody. Meanwhile, UNC, you know, they played in the Maui Invitational, you know, over in uh, Asheville. Who do you like winning this one? Well, uh, as we're taping this, Garrison Brooks has not been fully cleared. You know, I still think he might 
play, but he's not 100% healthy. Uh, you, you need as many big bodies as you can against Luka Garza. Uh, offensively overall, even though, yes, the competition has been pretty weak in comparison. Uh, but, hey, he, he averaged 30, over 30 points. I don't care who you're playing. Luka Garza has been phenomenal. And I'm going with Iowa at home over North Carolina. Oh, he's probably close to averaging 30 points in the first half of all these games. But, uh, no, I like that pick. I think Iowa's been so, you know, over the years, very hit or miss home and road splits. I think that if this was at UNC, I'd probably take UNC, but I do like Iowa at home as well. Number six, Illinois, at number 10, Duke is our next matchup. Uh, we've already seen one Big Ten team win in Cameron. Do you think we're looking at a second loss for Duke from the Big Ten? I, I do, which is kind of almost shocking to say. It's blasphemous to say that Duke would lose two home non-conference games. But not having the camera crazies, I think, affects Duke more than any other venue. Secondly, Wendell Moore and DJ Stewart shot horribly in that game against Michigan State. Didn't make a shot. Those guys are going to have to make perimeter shots to beat Illinois. Uh, I think that Kofi Coburn, you know, his size and strength could be an issue for Duke. Um, They don't have uh, you know, it's now two seasons removed. Well, they don't have a Vernon Carey and they don't have necessarily a Zion Williamson. Uh, Jalen Johnson obviously is a special talent, but I think this could be a really effective way for Kofi Coburn to sort of make his way in the paint. I like Illinois to go into Duke and win. So you've got two road teams winning on Tuesday. Now let's look ahead to Wednesday. Speaking of Michigan State, your team of the week, they're facing Virginia on the road. Virginia has a chance to kind of erase that San Francisco loss uh, from the fans and media's memory. Could Sparty get another road win? Who do you like winning? They could, but in this instance, I will lean Virginia. Virginia historically has shot better at home. Uh, I saw them basically Jekyll and Hyde down in Mohegan Sun where first game, Sam Hauser, uh, Jay Huff were making shots. They made 15 threes as a team. The next two days later in that San Francisco game, they only made three. But I anticipate that they will make their shots at the JPJ. And what I think will end up being a late possession game, I think Virginia beats Michigan State. Second straight week, the Michigan State's got to go on the road to a ACC team. And keep in mind, even though they were our team of the week, uh, they got really pushed by Detroit uh, at home. And uh, it's just, you know, this has been a long stretch for these teams that have actually been playing. And so to go on the road again, uh, it's not, it's not easy, especially now. And so I'm going to go with Virginia here. Okay. Not a bad pick. I, I would like to believe Michigan state would feel pretty good about their chances winning on the road after that, uh, that Duke game. But yeah, we'll see what happens Thursday, another top 25, top 25 matchup, number 24, San Diego state at number 23, Arizona state. This is a late tip. This is a 10 o'clock tip uh, on the East coast. You know, as a welcome back to the top 25, the Aztecs get to defend their ranking with a road game at the Sun Devils. They were the last undefeated team last year, and uh, here they are. They lost Malachi Flynn, but they're back for more. Uh, Who comes out on top? I'm going to go with ASU. San Diego State obviously had the great win over UCLA at home. They're clearly the class of the Mountain West Conference. But I saw Arizona State in person. Really, really like this team. They didn't play as well, obviously, against Villanova. But Remy Martin... Alonzo Verge, assuming he's healthy. Josh Christopher, Marcus Bagley, who's also doing better after a little bit of a scare with him in that Cal game uh, where it looked like it was more serious uh, foot injury than it was. If they're all 100%, they simply have more talent. I think they're a better offensive team, and I think they beat San Diego State. Yeah, I agree. Their freshmen have been really impressive uh, this year so far, so I, I agree with you on that pick. 
Now Saturday, a pretty good rivalry matchup. Number six, Illinois at Missouri. Some people think Missouri should be ranked probably right on that little fringe after they beat number 21, Oregon. Andy, who do you like to win this game? Quite a week for Illinois. You got to go to Duke and then Missouri. Uh, I may take some of this blame because uh, if you remember, I had to flip the coin to, to see who was going to host the Illinois-Missouri game. You know, you could argue conspiracy theorists will say that the eye was carved out a little deeper in the coin than the <laughs> Missouri logo. So maybe it was weighted heavier to flip on Missouri. Some people didn't like that I went for the flip and then the turn onto the back of the hand, which I thought is what you're supposed to do as a kid. Classic. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Anyway, Missouri's going to host. I think Missouri right now, and I say this without seeing Tennessee yet, and no one has as we're taping, but I think Missouri is playing the best basketball in the SEC, and nobody could have said that a month ago. So this is asking a lot of Illinois uh, to play at Duke and at Mizzou, and that's why I think Mizzou's going to win. Based on what I'm saying, I say Illinois splits the week, which would be quite the split if you win at Duke but then lose at Missouri, but that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I'm sure Illinois fans definitely want to sweep the week, but splitting would give them a nice road win. We'll see what happens. Sunday, got two more good matchups. Number 19, Richmond, at number 11, West Virginia. Uh, Richmond probably feels confident playing anywhere with all their veterans, and you know they've already won at Rupp Arena this year. Can they do it again at Morgantown? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'll be very interested to see. I know Richmond was able to get a game on Monday after their pause for a week. But as well as they played at Kentucky, I do think that West Virginia's size, you know, even though Richmond has Grant Golden inside, I think that could be a problem for them. I think it's asking a lot for Richmond to go in and win at Kentucky and win at West Virginia. I think they would still take that split. I think that's what they're going to get. I'm going with the Mountaineers. Yeah, Seaboy and Culver's tough for anybody, so probably not a bad pick there. Uh, and you mentioned Texas at the top of this, how much you like Texas and their depth and their length. They're number 13 in the country, and they're facing Baylor on the road. Baylor didn't get that chance to face Gonzaga, but they did beat a tough Illinois team like we mentioned. Who do you like winning this one? I'm going to go with Baylor, but I think this is going to be a great game. They're very similar. Uh, Both teams have a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. They can mix their defenses up. Uh, You know, Offensively, I would lean a little bit toward Baylor and also – As talented as Texas is, and we saw this at the end of the Villanova game, sometimes immaturity settles in. Greg Brown, maybe not the greatest shot selection at the end of the game. Kai Jones still figuring out himself as well. And so I think late in the game, I would lean, even though Texas has experienced guards with Matt Coleman and Andrew Jones, I like the overall experience with Baylor to edge Texas at home. Yeah, not to mention their defense. So, yeah, not a bad pick. Uh, you went 6-1 and one last week. We've got eight games here. I hope all eight get played, and uh, we will revisit these next week. Appreciate it, Chad. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, a big thank you and shout-out to our Turner Sports team of Chad Acock, Abby Soltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team. Everyone doing tremendous work while working from home, getting this podcast out, engaging with the community. We're thrilled that uh, we can continue to deliver this product to you, and they do an outstanding job. We appreciate all of them. All right, stay safe, everyone. Wear a mask, and we'll talk to you next week.